What's going on, soccer family of San Antonio? Benji from Soy San Antonio Football here. Thank you for joining us for our 11th episode of 2020. Unfortunately, we're still not playing soccer. We are still on lockdown with this COVID situation, my friends. But you know what? Tons of soccer news coming down the pipeline. Things coming in from the MLS. Huge, huge news for the Developmental Academy of the United States of America, the United States Soccer Federation. It is done. What does that mean for our local clubs? And not only that... USL news coming down, but most importantly, we got the main man, the big man. He is back, Miguel Padilla. Welcome back to Soy Half, my man. Hey, Benji, thank you. What is up, Soy San Antonio football family? It's your boy Miguel here coming at you with episode podcast number 11. 11, man. It's been a while since we did from our last one since episode 10. A lot has changed in the world, so hopefully, we can entertain you here for the next 30 to 45 minutes here on the following topics, depending how long. Me and Benji discuss and debate and argue the following topics coming up. There is a lot that has changed in the soccer world as well. No games going on, but a lot of news has been filtering out here in the past couple days. First topic, Benji, let's just get right into it. Let's get, man. Let's go. First topic we're going to go into is U.S. soccer. The USSF, the United States Soccer Federation, announced... Today, and there were rumors actually flying around the past few days that this was going to happen, is that the Development Academy, effective immediately, has been terminated. And U.S. Soccer came out with a statement. The statement in part reads that they made a difficult decision to make, but the extraordinary and unanticipated circumstances around the COVID-19 epidemic have resulted in a financial situation that does not allow for the continuation of the Development Academy program to go into the future. So... That's just the the part of the letter that U.S. Soccer released. Benji, let's go right into it. Is this good or detrimental to U.S. Soccer as a whole? I know we have to focus on both the boys and girls on this one, so this might be a lengthy topic. Benji, take it away, my man. Oh, man, you don't want to get me going on this. You already know what I feel about the Development Academy. First of all, it's been great for the women. It's been outstanding for the women, no doubt about it. Um, when it comes down to the developmental academy, it's not something that has um, been for years, Miguel. We both know this. Uh, we grew up in the 90s playing soccer. Before that, they had, uh, we talked about this earlier, they had the Nike thing for to identify soccer players. You remember that? Yeah, it was uh, Project 40, which came around in about 97, 98. That was pre-development academy. It was kind of the U.S. soccer's first attempt at uh, organizing and recognizing youth. It, nothing uh, nothing wrong against the system. A lot of names came out of it, like Clint Dempsey, like mm-hmm. Landon Donovan, like Demarcus Beasley. Yeah, who Josie Altidore was part of it. Actually, they were uh, Dempsey and Altidore. They were uh, what followed with follow up to Project 40, which was Generation Ideas. Same program, just they changed the name. And then all of a sudden we see the rise of two, um, I, I, I guess, how do the soccer development uh, systems. Um, one, uh, as we know it, as the ECNL and the other one, um, basically the Developmental Academy. I think what happened is um, the United States Soccer Federation started seeing what the ECNL was doing. Uh, they saw that it was um, producing a lot of Division One soccer players. At that time, obviously, there was no path to pro, really. I think you just went to a developmental academy like the ECNL, and then from there, hope to God that you got looked at by some Division One school and then went into the MLS Super Draft, I think, correct? Yeah, on the on the men's side, boys side, yeah, that was pretty much the path to pro was uh, going through. Uh, right now is ECNL, uh, and then from there you go to a college showcase. There's a big college showcase actually in Frisco every spring around March. 
um, the March timeframe, or actually no earlier than that. I'm sorry. It's in the January timeframe. Cause uh, I've actually attended a couple of those back when I was living up there in the Dallas area. Uh, and uh, the ECNL actually has a college, uh, college showcase. There are hundreds of teams show up, uh, from all age groups and they uh, go out there and play and they, they get scouted by colleges, uh, division one, I, I think division two is out there as well. Um, to, and scout these not only uh, boys but girls as well. Yeah, uh, for college. So, well, I mean, let, let's get a little background of what this ECNL and Developmental Academy. It's very important for us to bring these topics up. The ECNL basically means the Elite Clubs National League. Um, that was founded back in two thousand and nine, and they, they got you know they have a lot of standings, and we have a big you know Texas standing here. Um, they're very reputable. They you know they're all over the country, and their job is basically to. Um, you know, identify young youth kids, you know, under 13, under 18, under 17, and just start developing them. You know, we have, you know, a couple flights uh, in, in San Antonio, uh, I mean, in the ECNL here in Texas, and San Antonio is no... Um, is not shy to the uh, ECNL programs. Um, the two biggest ones that we have here is just basically classic elites, San Antonio. And now, um, just right before the Developmental Academy has announced or the United States Soccer Federation announced that they will no longer have that Developmental Academy, um, SA, uh, SA City Soccer Club these, uh, joined the ranks of ECNL. So that's important to understand where the um, elite classics um, uh um, teams come from right. In- and on the development academy side we had of course the pro academy with san antonio fc yes and huge. they were actually quite successful early on even though they were basically what in year th- coming into year three uh yes. as a development academy club uh, i think they had existed before as uh, just a singular club with one age group yeah they only that. had one they only had one age group uh, when they first started and then they picked up their licensing for the developmental academy two two and a half years ago and then last year they became the most successful one of the most successful d dea stories i mean ethan bryant Joe yegos tons of kids that have come through that program and now that's uh gone yeah, so we got to see what uh, San Antonio FC uh, has yet to make a statement on what the future of the Pro Academy is. Um, my speculation is that it'll stick around and it'll probably transfer over to the ECNL as other clubs that we've already seen in the USL has already transferred over from the DA uh, over to the ECNL. With clubs such as the Phoenix Rising, Pittsburgh uh, Riverhounds, uh, Charleston Independence. These are three USL clubs of note that have joined the ECNL. So I see San Antonio FC probably following suit here pretty soon. Soon, I'm pretty sure they're making the decision. Uh, I have to talk to the, you know, their coaching staff, uh, Nick Evans and you know Alan Marchena and you know Tim Hall. All the, you know, all the big wigs have to get together. Yeah, see what the plan is for the future for San Antonio FC for the Pro Academy because. It- I don't, it, it can't go away. It's, it's something that, that this club, San Antonio FC has emphasized that they, they want to have homegrown players as San Antonio FC uh, produces players and they have quality young youth in, in the system right now. So they would hate to lose them to have those kids go back to classic elites or SA city and then use, uh, lose all that potential talent that they could be here in the main squad here in the next two, three, maybe four years down the road. Yeah, I agreed. And you know what? ECNL has survived. They, they are their own entity. Um, elite classics, um, they, they are their own entity. They, they, they don't belong to anybody. They don't belong to the soccer federation. They are their own, um, uh, 
institution and their, their, their job is to produce youth soccer. And honestly, with the developmental Academy, with the U S soccer federation, the biggest people who take the hit here are going to, it's going to be the youth soccer players. You know, the demise of the whole Academy, the developmental Academy basically went down the drain. So, you know, you, you create something, um, but I'll be honest with you, the, the developmental Academy was dead on arrival when it came down to the men's side. Straight up, man. I think it's a flawed system. There's been a lot of players. I'm one of those that would always advise people, hey, if you have a chance to get out of here and go develop in Mexico or in Europe, get out of here. Do not waste your time when it comes down to developmental academy. Now, it did wonders for women. It did wonderful things for the girls' national teams. But then again, they decided to take it seriously, you know, and then on you know the the soccer federation the presidents the powers that be at that time an example sunel worthless galuti this is what i'm gonna call him because he's terrible for men's soccer and we've been suffering since he's been there last yeah and his replacement carlos uh, cordero he was no not, not any better he, he wasn't yeah, any he did better nothing for uh, u.s soccer during his uh, his regime no yeah well it. a short-lived regime because uh, of his big mouth yeah and then now we have to wait and see what uh how cindy uh Carlo uh, handles the business. Uh, obviously, we have to wait until everything comes back online and how they handle the youth system uh, going on moving forward. But, My biggest uh, thing is how many people wasted money on this developmental academy when it's supposed to be a professional pathway to professional soccer. Yeah. And, and I believe it's a pay to play as well, right? Oh, absolutely. And that's the worst thing. And I'm so happy. And that's where I was going to hammer. And here, you, here we go. You ready? I know. Buckle I, down. Yeah, before you get into it, I know you, we've had this discussion plenty of times about pay to play. I know I've listened to you and good old Captain Michael Reed have this discussion for hours. He's another one that uh, has been very critical of pay to play. Uh, you know, Michael, if you're listening to this, we just want to say what's up. I know you're out there in uh, Memphis now. Yes. Uh, after playing in Nashville for With a the great Tim Howard. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and he's been very knowledgeable. Maybe we should bring him on a podcast here in the future to discuss yes. more pay to play. But uh, yeah, uh, Benji, I know you've been very critical. So just share your thoughts here for those that haven't heard. Yeah. You know, so the development of Bad Academy, if you got the money, you play. Plain and simple. That's what it means. It basically is that medium high to high income families that can afford these academies. Pfft, how much a year? You got to set up a budget. Six, seven thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars a year to play with these academies. And some of them don't even listen. One of our very own young ladies here, um, Jillian um, uh, Martinez, wonderful young girl. Um, she is part of the women's national team, part of the developmental academy. But this is on the women's side. She lives in San Antonio, never played soccer in San Antonio, developed as a young child in San Antonio. Um, I know she played for uh, David Vega uh, back in the day, and he, she put it to some of the boys here. But uh, in talking to her, her dad, Mr. Martinez, they would travel every day to Austin to go play with Lone Star. Because they were part of all that, you know, uh, Lone Star uh, system with that ECNL and everything. And nothing was coming through. And then she got recruited to go to the, uh, the Development Academy. The trips, the overnight trips, the sacrifices families got to make, it's expensive. Where are we going to find the next great soccer player? The DA was a failed, worthless system for the United States soccer system. And I'm so glad it's gone. Do I think there's something behind this? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you what it is. I think MLS got rid of this whole COVID-19 pandemic situation. It's just it just fell on their laps to say, oh, we can't do this anymore. Financially, we can't support this. No, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't buy that for one minute. 
Yeah, some of the factors for the for Development Academy, I believe, uh, outside of this whole COVID-19 epidemic, and there's actual visible proof of this, is that one, ECL, ECNL clubs were actually beating Development Academy clubs when they would face each other. Uh, you'd figure that the Development Academy would be the cream of the crop type kids. They're the ones that are most tactically proficient in playing soccer. They, they have the best coaching, you know, the best funding, uh, all this good stuff. And, uh, you know, these ECNL clubs and sometimes other clubs that were maybe independent or outside of the ECNL were also beating development academy clubs as well on the men's side the results the the development academy has been around since 2007 we are now in 2020 that's 13 years uh, to see if this could work and the high the the highlight of on the boy side was the U.S. men's national team making it to the round of 16 in Brazil and that was it we didn't we didn't qualify in 2018 2010 and south africa uh was still too early to determine the success of the development academy so you had 2014 world cup and the 2018 world cup uh to show those results and then also on the u23 side for the men's we haven't qualified for the olympics since 2008 no <laughs> so yeah. that that's given us plenty of times for see how the development academy could have identified players, youth players to come up through the system. And then most recently in India uh, in 2019 and the U-17 World Cup for the boys, they crashed out in the group stage. That's terrible. That's pathetic. In so, my opinion. I mean, the results right there. I mean, what what more evidence do you need, at least on the boys side, that the Development Academy did not work? Yeah, you. I mean, you, you said it yourself. Twenty eighteen, the twenty eighteen cup, the senior didn't the senior side, the men's national team didn't even qualify for twenty eighteen cup, and then the U twenty threes failed to qualify for the twenty twelve and the twenty sixteen Olympics. And this year we weren't even we weren't even uh, right now twenty twenty Olympics. I know it got pushed back a little bit, but we still haven't qualified for the Olympics in twenty twenty. Yeah, we uh, qualification for the for the Olympics for the men's side was supposed to start uh, at the end of March, early April. Obviously, has been pushed back because of the whole pandemic uh, situation. Uh, we have yet to see when CONCACAF is actually going to schedule those games. But again, even with that, the, the team, our team wasn't even favored to to get out of the group, let alone win it, because obviously we're in there with Mexico in the same grouping. So, I mean, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother animal to talk down, down the road, you know, when, when qualification does start, but you know, with the development team Academy uh, development Academy going away, I don't think it's really that detrimental for youth soccer. I mean, I know there's going to be some teams that may fold. I don't know how many, but the club still exists. It's not just because the Academy development Academy went away. These clubs that played under them still exist. So obviously some of them have already transferred to the ECNL. They've already been making announcements that they're going to the ECNL Phoenix rising being one of them they you know they announced that they were going to development academy i think like a month ago yeah no, and then, you know now 30 days later they're in the ecnl so these clubs still exist the, the the coaches will still be there they just won't be under that umbrella of the development academy major league soccer teams have announced that they're going to make their own league for their academy yeah kids. their own youth development their own youth development league so i think that's going to kind of be similar to the e to the english premier league uh, I don't know if you guys, how in-depth the uh, EPL fans are with how the system is broken down in the EPL, but you have the first team division. Yes. Then you have EPL two, and then you have the U18 system. Yes. So that's how, and I think that's what Major League Soccer is going to kind of go to that modeling. So so if they go to that modeling, I mean, that opens up the box of Pandora. Is, yeah, because uh, it could are, we, are we doing European style now? It, we, we, we may be heading towards that because now you have all these MLS2 teams in the USL that may break away and form an MLS2 uh, league that'd be which awesome will be outside of the promotion relegation zone but it could be setting up for promotion relegation down the road 
I like so, that. I mean, idea. it could be a dom- kind of the the dominoes are starting to fall, and and we're starting to see that that road to where you're going to see a huge, huge change in the U.S. soccer landscape. Well, all we need to all we all I know right now is this: our youth system is in trouble. Our youth system is in trouble, but I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Uh, our youth system is in trouble. Uh, the D- developmental academy was supposed to be a professional pathway. Was supposed to find some designated talent. It did not, because obviously, like again, you got to pay big time money to play for these academies. If you got the money, you got to play. But what about what about um, what about the the young immigrant playing in the streets in California or even here in the Rio Grande Valley, down there in South Texas? What about the young players? How many players have we lost internationally that we have not seen play for the United States? Yeah, there's been a, there's been a few uh, tons. Yeah, there's been a few. Uh, there was one notable here not too long ago. Uh, the name kind of escapes me right now, but uh, he was kind of on the fence between playing with the U.S. national team and and Mexico, and I think he decided to go with. Mexico. He hasn't made an appearance with the main squad yet. But he's playing with the national team. I think he's playing with the national team at youth level right now. One of the biggest names that ever comes to me, one of the biggest snubs in American uh, history is Rossi. American, Italian-American. Yeah. Uh, from your area up there in Jersey, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, early 2000s? Yeah, early 2000s. And, yeah. and he ended up playing with, guess who? With the Italians. They ended up winning a World and Cup. And ended up winning a World Cup. Yeah. Very much well. Could have been playing with the United States of America. But you know, he didn't come up through the DA system. You know, he didn't come through any of those things. He didn't, he got overlooked. So we know that the U.S. system, at least at the youth system, is broken right now. So we're, we're going to play hypothetical here and how to fix it. So, no. Benji, I'm, I am the U.S. soccer covering body, and I just made you president of the youth system. So what would you do? to fix the system so we can have at least the men's win a World Cup here in the next couple cycles. You know what? Give the power to, to the clubs. Make it Stop making it pay to play. And go out and recruit. Go to the stinking streets. Find somebody. You can do not offer money. Your MLS clubs, your, your admissions, your season ticket members, you people that are your city, you should be forking out the money to find a talent. You shouldn't be asking people to pay to play for your club so that you can have a chance to be looked at. Absolutely freaking not. It is our duty. It is their duty as a club, as a representing body of the city to go out and find the talent. Go out and recruit. Lionel Messi wasn't just found or he didn't pay somebody. Lionel Messi was from the streets. So was Ronaldo. So was Maradona. So was Chicharito. Where did they come from? No, they went out to the streets. These big clubs, you know, they Chivas went to go find him. Hey, there's a kid that can go play out there. Cuauhtémoc Blanco, where'd he come from? The streets. You know what about one of our greatest stories that uh, that I can I can think of and one I of love boys, it. Uh, Mohamed Salah. Mo- Mohamed Salah. Where I mean, did he come from? Yeah. Egypt. Where did they Egypt. find him in the streets in yeah, Egypt? Yeah, he, he grew up in a poor, poor. I think Alexandria is where he grew up. Yeah, and, he grew up in the city of Alexandria. He got discovered, and he his parents would actually drive two hours, I think, to Cairo uh, to for his youth academy. But but he got decided he didn't have to pay, you know, and and, and the cost of living out there in Egypt, they, they don't make much out there. So it's not like he, they, they, his parents would be able to afford to pay $3,000 or whatever the equivalent is of Egyptian Egyptian pounds no, no, you know, over there. But, you know, that's how he got discovered. Well, here's a very modern uh, American story as to why the DA doesn't work. Um, he, pro- he represented the U.S. national team. But when it came down to developing as a soccer player, his parents knew you're not going to get it in the United States of America. If you're going to be a great player because you got talent, because you have you, have, you come from good stock, you're going to go somewhere else. And where you're going to is going to be Europe. You're going to go develop over there. You're going to leave your family. You know who that kid is right now? Out of Pennsylvania. Yeah, Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic. His dad was a, a great soccer player. Mama was a great soccer player. And they looked at the system and said, absolutely not. 
My kid's not going to grow up here. He's not going to make it here. Christian Pulisic didn't even come into the scene of the United States soccer until he left to Germany. Until he started playing with the youth teams and Dortmund. Right, and he developed out there. And he developed out there. And then Dortmund called him up to the first team. Oh my gosh, we have Christian Pulisic, the American Wonder Boy, winning it with the Yellow Submarines. You know? It's crazy. Yep, and now he's with Chelsea. And now he's with Chelsea. Did he go through the DA system? Did he go through the whole thing? No. Absolutely not. So if it worked for Christian and it's worked for Gio Reyna and it's worked for other kids that have not come up through the academy to this, quote, $7 million, $8 million loss, we're behind at 10 years because of this stupid system that the United States Soccer Federation created whenever the heck they did it was in 2007. The dumbest thing that could ever happen. That's on the men's side. Yeah, and it developed for women, and, and the reason for women, I think, is just because we didn't have nobody the, cared. Uh, yeah, well, nobody cared not, ever. Not nobody, nobody paid cared. attention it to it. Biggest, yeah, nobody really paid attention to they it. They let the also, girls play. That the girls developed. They let them do their system. Yeah, and they established rules. No, there hasn't really been a strong professional women's league uh, for them to go into. So that's all they had was a development that's academy. It. They had ECNL and DA. Yep, there was no major league soccer academies to for them. You know, to to kind of thin out. You know, kind of thin out the talent, no. as you can say, or or the ECNL. So. Yeah, I mean, all these uh, these great teams from, you know, 99s, the 99ers and, you know. And, and, f- and to this and future generation. Yeah, the 2015 World Cup winning team as well. The ones that they wanted up there in Canada. All those kids, they were kids. They were in their prime of their youth back at when the Development Academy started. So, Absolutely. I mean, um, if you're you talking about of, like the Alex Morgans and, and, you know, and the Sydney LaRue's. They were they were probably teenagers when. The yeah, but look where they were found at. They were found in the United States playing university level college yeah. soccer. And and, and where, what, how the path to get there, they had to get through what? The East nail programs the women's premier soccer leagues which was has been huge and essential for women's development the wpsl you know has been massive yeah, a lot of talent has actually come from the for that 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 made it to the u.s women's national teams come from the wpsl yeah absolutely the wpsl and then the uws that came in 2012 but the wpsl we all know is, is over 100 years old i mean that thing is that thing has been around forever it's the yeah. old it's the largest women's soccer league in the world and it's the one of the you know one of the best ones in the world why it wasn't put in the professional level because I think it's a developmental system to go into now what we like now and that yeah, we call it's it mostly, uh, it's mostly college age and high school girls and high school playing. girls playing yeah, together um, developing there's, there's a few that are post college that couldn't quite make it in in the uh, NWSL but you know they, they've got the talent to still play which gives actually these younger girls probably the experience they need to succeed in terms of moving up to the next level and they um, were all the majority of those girls can all attest and they can all testify of, of playing with what what, the ECNL or the DA and it yeah, worked. If you look at the wonderful. San Antonio Blossoms, you know, perfect example right here locally, San Antonio Blossoms, all the majority of those girls are classic leads with a few exceptions of some girls coming in from colleges from other areas. But you know, yeah. they did a couple of seasons ago, they brought a girl in from Oklahoma State, um, you know, or from the Houston area and stuff like that. But, you know, majority of them are classic leads in the ECNL club. So to wrap up the DA fiasco, the, the fallout of the doomed DA, Miguel, I'm happy that it's done with. It's over. The chapters are closed. I just want to move on from this ridiculous experiment, a waste of a time that has put us back 10 years. It's done nothing for United States soccer on the men's side. It's done wonders for the women's side. It's done great things for women's. I mean, um, let's count how many world champions. Not one, two, three, but how many? Yeah, four stars. Four stars, baby. And But it's done great things. You want to know why? Because the U.S. Soccer Federation did not put their hands in it. They said, just grow. Because, again, 
And we're going to get this a whole different Pandora box about equality. Oh, it's girl soccer. It's not going to gain momentum. Nobody's really going to really, you know, pitch in all the money. Go ahead and do it. And guess who is the outstanding world class elite soccer female players in the world that's ever seen? Americans. The Americans, yeah. So I'm glad it's done. Get out of here. Move and see ya. I do hope that the MLS and I do hope that the U.S. Soccer Federation, the governing bodies, let USL, let the uh, MLS create their own youth leagues. Let them. And let them go out and recruit because yeah, that's the only way the competition is going to go. EPO is doing. Basically, get that system. And EPL, hey, you know what they do? They go around the world looking for the best kids. Yep. All over the world. Oh, yeah. And you I got, come play for Manchester I mean, we've United. Seen, we've seen a talent right here in San Antonio. You got number one, Jack Barnby, who came out of Manchester United. Yeah, absolutely. System. And then uh, we have another kid that you just interviewed, by the way, Ali Wright. Kind of segue into that. Yes. You know, we uh, you got to interview St. Mary University's uh, forward striker and midfielder. The Ollie London Wright, San Antonio Wonder who, Boy, man. Kid's also, crazy. Who is also signed for year two with Corpus Christi FC or the USL2. Hopefully that season gets started pretty soon. We're gonna, which will actually be our next topic. So that was a great interview. Uh, got to preview it a little bit. We're working on the finishing touches on it. Yes. Uh, Benji did a great job as well as Ollie. Uh, you know, it was very interesting. So hopefully we'll get it out to you this week. Yeah, absolutely. Great information with Ollie Wright. And you know what? I'm glad you touched on that because I want to I want to close out that topic with this. We have a lot of European kids in this country playing just in San Antonio. And we're going to bring it back home. Uh, we've met international kids on every club, at least eight or nine on every club from four or five different universities in this city, from Trinity to UIW uh, to uh, UTSA to Olu, Our Lady of the Lake to um, St. Mary's University. St. Mary University has got about eight. They got two Scottish boys, an English guy. They got about two or three Mexicans. Yeah, they Australian, got a couple of Australians. Well, they I got a couple of Australians. Sale, the goalkeeper there is Australian. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the same thing for, for Trinity University and UIW. You know, they have tons of me- uh, international players there that are, are, are on their way. Phenomenal soccer players, you know. Ollie Wright's one of the most, one of the best examples. You know, he was he was approached. He tells us his story how he was approached. You know, he grew up in in, in London playing soccer, and then um, uh, a former um, the St. Mary's coach. Uh, he was over at uh, Matt Barnes. Yeah, Matt Barnes was the one who found him. Yep. Matt Barnes found him. Said, "Hey, how about you come to Texas and play?" And he sure as heck did, and we're glad he did. And he's succeeding and he's thriving. Uh, he practiced with San Antonio FC during this offseason. I personally think the kid should have been on the squad if all international spots were not taken. Oliver Wright should have been on there because this well, kid is still on the radar, you know. And if this, this, you know, right now he's committed to Corpus Christi FC, uh, the USL two, which is you know no slouch. Which he broke league. records it's as a, a midfielder as well. There, huh? He broke records down there. Yeah. Number one, uh, number one at most assists, and he and. Um, I think he had like 14 assists in the USL and he was ra- uh, rated the top midfielder in USL League 2. Yeah, so he'll get to develop and I'm pretty sure he'll stay on San Antonio FC's radar and heaven forbid if anybody gets hurt uh, if this season comes to fruition, hopefully it does. You know, if people get hurt or get injured or, or, or get nicked up, you know, I'm pretty sure Ollie Wright might get the call. Absolutely. And that's, and you know, we're going to move on into our next topic now that we are talking about the USL. Do not miss this interview with Ollie Wright. It was 
awesome. Again, you guys, for those of you that are listening, young soccer players, what's it like for a young Englishman to succeed in San Antonio, Texas and in the soccer system? Take a listen. This kid gives you insights that I even myself didn't even know. I mean, I I asked myself, you know what, what's a London kid doing in San Antonio? And now I see it. I mean, this kid took, it's been a three-year process. He's It's his third year. He's going into his senior year next year, but he has taken taken and he has led St. Mary's to historic uh, feats, you know, the yeah, elite eight, the way, sweet 16, all the way to sweet, sweet 16. I was going to say that. Yeah. in the division two, yeah, all the way to sweet 16. And they lost in penalties by, um, to the, the eventual champions. The yeah. And, and you know what? It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful interview. Yeah, which actually a lot of, you know, before we, uh, before we go to this next topic, yeah, that, that game between St. Mary's and uh, Los Angeles, was it University of California? Yeah. You're not, not UCLA, but uh, it was Cal State LA. Cal State LA. Cal State, Cal State LA. LA. Yeah, they were the individual champions. There, a lot of people were saying that was actually, the the winner of that was probably going to win. Yes, the whole thing. The whole thing, yeah. And, and it, it rightfully so. It went double overtime and then it went to overtime, double overtime, then penalty kicks and, you know, it is what it is. Anyways, moving on, that was a great topic i mean da it's gone folks it's gone thank goodness a new era has arrived in u.s soccer hopefully by now we will qualify for the olympics for the first time and they gotta act quick they gotta do something now moving on to our next topic we go what do we got man all right so uh uso came out with some news today uh actually yeah this this today or yesterday however you look at it by the time you see this podcast or the the past few days um let's let's first compare usl to what's going on with the other leagues so right now the nba uh, obviously all sports there's nothing going on but some of these sports do want to return soon so the nba is looking at pretty much saying the regular season is complete and however the seeds may fall they fall in terms of the playoffs one through eight of course your san antonio spurs would not make the playoffs if the season ended today and they started some sort of playoff bracket tournament but the nba is looking at actually playing in las vegas in an empty arenas and just starting the basketball playoffs there uh with all the teams present in las vegas uh major league baseball is actually looking at playing at two sites one in arizona and one in florida with actually realignment uh instead of having american league and national league you're going to have the cactus league and the grapefruit league with the teams out there and their appropriate divisions playing each other as if it were spring training but they're going to at least start the regular season out there see how that goes uh down the road um in some sort of shortened season uh the nfl right now is scheduled as as they are uh, I don't think they're pushing anything back, but they are looking at alternatives and major league soccer and USL are kind of been in unison in terms of just basically pushing back and pushing back the start of the season or continuation of the season. So right now USL has announced a training moratorium in terms of that. There will be no training or no training in terms of clubs together until Sunday, May 3rd. Of course, that is all dependent on how this pandemic goes. And of course, on the recommendations of the CDC with local state and national authorities, uh, the USL Players Association and professional sports organizations across the country. Benji, I mean, we're going into pretty much speculation and rumors here because no one has any idea how this is going to happen or how this is going to end. Do you think we'll have a USL soccer season this year? You know what? Uh, man, the way this thing is going. Um, man, if we lose 50% of the season, though, it's no point. What do we do? Every well, team's only played one time. You only play half a season. How do you put out the numbers? And and then and only that. If, if soccer does return, Miguel, do you risk, you know, amassing 
two to four to eight to 10,000 people in one stadium, knowing this virus quote has not been, could be seasonal at any moment in time. And then, you know, you hear all this, you, you hear all the stories about, uh, you know, uh, asymptomatic carriers that give it to the people. I mean, we're mixing everybody. We've been to San Antonio FC, their season ticket members late in their seventies that love soccer. And then there's season ticket member, family members that are young as infants. And we don't know. Do you risk that? Or do you just, or do you continue playing soccer, close doors and televise it on TV? Uh, I'm pretty sure the USO is looking at several options here. They're not just sitting around hoping and wishing, you know, that this goes away and play a full season. I think that uh, behind closed doors, they're looking at every option in terms of either playing a full season with closed doors or if by, you know, obviously, you know, before I continue with all this, you know, we want to say right now that obviously sports is secondary. The health of the people of this nation is obviously absolutely. So we got to make sure that that is taken care of before any sports can resume. So with with that being said, we're going into the hypothetical now. Um, I would love to see the USL play a full season out, obviously, because we are soccer, football footies. We love soccer. We love the game. Not only do we love the game, but we love going out to Toyota Field and seeing y'all out there. Yes, the we love the, the fans. fans. I love miss interacting it. with y'all. We miss it. We miss the tailgates. And hopefully we can get to back soon. And not only that, but I, I missed, you know, touching on high school soccer. I miss going to the high school soccer games. We were fortunate enough to see two state finals up there in Waco. But the UIL is still kind of in suspension itself. And I really feel bad for all the high school kids out there and all the great, especially all the great San Antonio schools, uh, soccer teams that are out there just waiting to finish the season. Yeah. And I hope that happens as well. But let's go into speculation here. I have I have a theory or at least um, this is what I probably would do if I was in the USO at the planning table uh, in terms of what would happen, because I don't see this really happening or ending until probably June, July time frame to where we can say, hey, we get the all clear and we're good to go in terms of of having people in the stands and playing soccer and having some sort of normalcy. Right. Uh, will the teams, you know, these clubs and stadiums sell out? I'm pretty sure there'll still be people pretty cautious about going out to stadiums and stuff like that. So, but you also have to keep in mind that the USL, a lot of these clubs are run on a tight budget. They need some sort of income if they want to survive beyond this year, if they want to survive. Well, if you think about it since March, uh, 10 games have been missed. 10 games. Yeah. 10. That's a big number. That's huge. What do you do? Forget about those. If you go onto the USL page, you're going to see that it's going to say PP. Postponed. Yeah, postponed until, yeah. Because they, they're expecting to play the full season, all 34 matches. It and, is and theoretically, a season. they could. They could. We could start the season in July, and they could run the gamut of games. It would be a tight schedule. Holy you crap. I mean, if you I do mean, that, you, Miguel, you're US, talking. the U.S. Open Cup would be a no-go. Well, the U.S. Open Cup already said that they're not going. Yeah, they're not going to happen. So let's just put that so out you're there. Playing a lot of, you're playing a lot of Saturday-Wednesday games. And then not only that, you, you goodness, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to have a deep bench because you might end up playing three games in one week. Yeah, you're playing two. Well, you I think the max would be two. You're playing a lot of Saturday, Wednesday games. Maybe do you limit your away bye, games? Maybe a bye week or whatever, or not a bye week, but maybe like a bye day where you might skip a Wednesday or a Saturday just to get ten days off. But you're going to be playing a lot of Saturday, Wednesday games. You have to because you you need double headers. For example, for us, we have El Paso, we have um, RGV, and we have Austin. Yeah, you're going to be playing two a week. So I was, I was, I, it's kind of been rattling around in my head. Like if I were at the USL planning table here the past few days if I was if I was to have this season I don't I don't see us playing a 34 game season um, but we have to have some sort of season in 
Um, I would have uh, a shortened season. I would kind of do what Major League Baseball is doing in terms of where not playing in two sites, but having a realignment of groups or actually, you know what? A better, a better analogy would be kind of like European qualifying for the world cup where you have groups of teams. So for example, I would do, uh, we have 18, 18 clubs in the Western conference, 17 in the Eastern conference. Let's just stick to the Western conference for now. And specifically it's just stick San Antonio FC for this example. So I would make, basically make a short in season, six teams in a group with San Antonio FC and it's all regional and you only play these regional teams. So for example, you have RGV FC, uh, Austin bold, the two teams in Oklahoma, uh, El Paso and San Antonio FC. Okay. I think that makes six, right? Yeah, that makes six. Unless I'm, unless I could add Phoenix in there. No, no, don't add Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. So you'd have those six clubs right there, right? So basically they would play each other four times. You have 16 right there. You have 16 team, uh, 16 games right there. So it's half a season, but you're playing regional. So one, and the reason for this is one, obviously it's a shortened season Two, you keep it regional. So it, it saves the clubs on cost and travel. Because especially with San Antonio FC traveling to Austin, that's a day trip. You know, if you look at some of the Northwest clubs like Portland and Tacoma playing each other, that's a day trip. You know, they don't have to spend money on a hotel. They can go down, play a game, come back. It'll be a little bit tough, but they can do it. Um, and same with some of the San Antonio team, you know, with the uh, Oklahoma City teams or, or Tulsa teams coming down, you know, and, uh, you know, playing that way. So I just keep it regional. It does have a shortened season, six team, and then have, you know, the top two of each group. Or, or however, you know, however you make the playoffs to make the 10 teams to, to go into the playoffs and then just resume it from there. And then the season has to finish by November 30th because that's when the majority of the player contracts ends anyways in the USL. You know, I like that analogy. I never even thought about it that way, but I think that would be a good approach to it. Obviously, you got that little business minded me. I'm just like, fuck it. Let's go play soccer. Let's do this. Play them all. Play the players. Let's do this whole complete season. But you know what? That makes sense. You know, just um, do the head to heads, you know, home and aways and make it all count. You know, it's possible. It's possible. The season's got to end October. Um, I mean, that's when players are going to end up getting resigned or not. And you're going to find out what's going on. Yeah. You know, it is an interesting situation. We will find out um, when it comes down what uh, May 3rd. That's Sunday. So May 4th, we should know, hey, we're back to practice. Yeah. If they're practicing on May 4th, then they'll probably start the season um, on schedule as they originally planned. Which would be um, like May, May 10th. 10th. Yeah, they were looking at first games May 10th, which I believe that would be a Sunday. So you're actually looking at San Antonio FC's first game on the schedule would probably be Mar- May 17th. May 17th. And it's an away game. So the first home game hopefully would be May 23rd. But, you know, it all depends on the whole situation with the with the pandemic and if we can flatten out the curve and if people feel safe enough. And, you know, you know a lot of, a lot of people are concerned. So um, maybe the first few games will be closed-door games and just have it televised on ESPN you know, the apps or whatever, the ESPN plus apps and, and show them that way. So at least you can get some revenue, you know, um, in terms of that. Um, but we'll see. Hey, you know what? I'm hoping the season gets going. I am excited. I still love talking about it. And we're going to keep on talking about it because even though we are not playing physically, we still have the USL E-Cup and we have a 
beast of a representative of San Antonio representing the city and the club. Miguel, you've been catching up. You've been staying on tabs with this stuff. You've been watching it from the beginning to end. What is going on with these USL E-Cup, man? So, yeah, the USL E-Cup, if you're not too familiar with it, is an online tournament with all the USL and USL 1 teams. It started off with eight groups of four clubs, kind of World Cup style. They played three matches. Of course, San Antonio FC had his representative in Josh Richards, who was actually a youth soccer player and part of their pro academy. Nice. And uh, I also want to call out uh, Kelsey Steele from USL because she didn't give him any chance of winning the group. Kelsey did out of the group. Yeah. Oh, when they did their I'm preview. about to message Kelsey Steele. You should um, because she didn't give him any chance. She actually, I think, had the Pittsburgh Riverhounds winning the, the group uh, and they finished winless. So Josh <laughs> actually ran the whole thing. They beat RGV, swept RGV. My man. Beat El Paso and beat Pittsburgh and then uh, after a perfect record, met Phoenix actually today in the round of 16, met their representative in the E-Cup, which is a, you know, internet soccer game. It's actually, it's kind of like a weird looking one-on-one. It's played with like a car and a huge soccer ball. It's actually pretty weird if you've never seen it, but it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I would, I would, actually, I wouldn't mind playing it if uh, I get the chance to myself. Nice. After watching it, but, you know... Um, San Antonio FC and Josh Richards uh, face Phoenix today and swept them three games to nil. And now they move on to the semifinals and they'll face the Charleston Battery, who they defeated uh, Reno in their own right. So now they're going on to the quarterfinals. Amazing. We want to tell him congratulations. Way to represent the city, way to represent the crest in this time of COVID. Um, we, we're hoping to win the whole thing. I mean, the kid's in the semifinals against, um, I'm sorry, he's in the quarterfinals, right? Yeah, yeah, he's in the quarterfinals. He's in the face quarterfinals. Charleston, Charleston. On, on April 22nd. Hey, so we're definitely going to be keeping tabs on that. Congratulations, kid. You are making the city proud. Hey, I'm going to definitely be, you know, I'm definitely going to be jumping in on this. I caught a little bit from the beginning, um, but then, you know, I, we kind of got busy. But it's a fun little thing going on they got going on. And the kid knows how to play. Yeah, uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely something he's entertaining. He's a gamer. Yeah, it's definitely entertaining. You Hopefully you can watch it. You can catch it on the, the USL's website, uslchampionship.com. Uh, just click on their uh, USL eCup link, and it'll take you right to the brackets. And then they actually have uh, a little arrow there, which you can click and, and replay the matches and watch them. I am so down, folks, for this episode number 11 of Soy San Antonio Football. I am Benjamin Dosa. Thank you for joining us. We're going to be bringing you more soccer news. Stay tuned for that Oliver Wright um, interview. We have a couple interviews lined up. We have Coach Estrada from the Athenians that we've been contacting, and we're going to try to get you more and more soccer information from you. Keep it alive, folks. We just want to say stay safe, stay home, save a lives and sanitize 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 we love you guys we can't do anything without you and it's a it's a it's a tough time for all of us but we will come back stronger isn't that right miggy that is correct we're all in this together make sure to check up on all your friends and family especially the ones that live alone because even though we are all safe at home uh, mentally this could be a tough time for a lot of people so make sure you catch up on your friends just say a quick hello uh give them a call give them a text shoot them on social media uh shoot them a message on social media but we love you guys we can't wait to see you again at toyota field soon enough hopefully sooner rather than later stay safe for benjamin doza this is miguel padilla from soy san antonio football y'all take care let's go see ya